We haven't talked about uh, Aretha Franklin yet. No, we haven't. Uh, it's not exactly timely, but uh, it's a big deal that she's mm-hmm. passed away. Um, too too soon. Yes. Everything feels like it's too soon. The older right. you get. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Eighteen year old. Oh, it's uh, died at seventy six. Ah, well, you know, had a good run. Right. Forty <laughs> something. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> Way too soon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, uh it's uh it's a sad thing for the uh, Queen of Soul. And um had a big uh service. Yes. Big funeral, a lot of people performing there. I discovered something amazing. Oh. Okay. Which is speaking of being old, I've never heard an Ariana Grande song. I couldn't yeah, even I don't think I have. I mean, I'm, I'm positive I have. I've been in a, like a Starbucks before. Sure. But I've never I couldn't pick it out no. of a musical lineup. Mm-mm. So I didn't know anything about her. I know that she licks donuts. <laughs> I know that. Oh it was wow. one time. It was one time. Mm-hmm. And I know that her boyfriend has uh, BDE. But <laughs> other than that, and I don't know anything about her. Right. And completely randomly, uh, it was a couple weeks ago, I was sort of dealing with the news, you know, about Aretha like everybody else. And I was yep. going down a, a YouTube hole and I listened to pretty much all the Aretha songs I could find. And then I saw a link that was like Ariana Grande sings Natural Woman on Kimmel. So we've got covering a song that can't be outdone. Yep. A girl I don't know anything about. Yes. No, it wasn't Kimmel. It was Fallon. That's oh, okay. a third strike. On Fallon. Okay. I'm like, well, <laughs> we're not doing that. Right. But at some point, I was walked away from the computer, and it, I got the Started autoplay. playing. Yeah, the autoplay happened. And it was amazing. Really? She's a she's an incredibly good singer. Like, she is a, huh. she's a vocalist. Sure. I just thought that her songs would be sort of poppy, and so I'm not saying that I'm now, a, I haven't followed up on this at all. Right. Uh, I don't know if I'm an Ariana Grande fan, but respect. <laughs> much respect. So much so that... They invited her to this thing. She did, you know, the, the memorial service. Yes, she did. And got assaulted. Assaulted? Yes. How? The guy, the the guy the, the who of the church, the the minister at the church, Charles Ellis, the pastor, grabbed her. That's horrible. You know about this. Well, I know about it Why a little bit. Dumb? But I mean it's terrible. And I can't, I didn't realize it was at the service um, where, for wait, Aretha. Wait, where did you think it was? I didn't know. I didn't have the context for it. Well, how much context do you need? I, I don't know. <laughs> where, do you think it was like backstage or something? I had no idea. Here's a picture. <laughs> oh, great. Everybody knows about it because it's just literally, <laughs> do, do, we, can, we can start over if you, no, that's now okay. that you know where we are. That's okay. Yeah. So anyway, what? What the hell? What the hell what, indeed? What the heaven? Yeah. Not great. No, not good at all. So he apologized. Here's somebody else who had to apologize. Yeah? Mike Coulter. Who's that? Luke Cage from Netflix's Why Luke didn't Cage. he have to apologize? Because he, he like retweeted or he tweeted like a picture of it. And he's like, this is how you shoot your shot. Give zero Fs. Wow. Wow. 
That's not a very Luke Cage move, gotta say. Uh, no, Luke Cage doesn't have to use the pretense of a Soul Legends funeral. Yeah. In order to cop a feel. Yeah. On the girl with the Taco Bell sounding name, which, first of all, dad joke. Yeah. Three Hail Marys work on your jokes. Yeah. Forgive you for that. Yeah. But. What the heck? Yeah, seriously. I would be incredibly insulted if I was her. And if I was her boyfriend, I'd be super pissed. Well, her boyfriend's, uh, <laughs> I know two things about him. He's yeah. a skinny comedian. Yeah. And apparently he's packing. So right. <laughs> if, if the second one can help him yeah. prevail, yeah. I say go for it. Jeez. But he, he should be working on a tight 10 about this guy, right? Yeah, seriously. Yeah, he should hit the clubs and we should hear a little more about this guy. <sighs> Bad news. Yeah. Uh, I got. I have an idea. Okay. Let's take. Okay. So <laughs> everybody's wondering if Thanos was right. Oh boy. Let's get this back to comic books, right? Okay. And I would say maybe, maybe he was, but the targets were wrong. Yes. What if we negotiated with Thanos? We said, Thanos, good to see you. You finally made it. Have a seat. <laughs> We've got a stone for you, but first we got a contract. Right. We show them this contract. These are the people you need to make disappear with the snap. <laughs> we'll start with all the accused of the Me Too's. Sure. Right? We'll just start with that. Yep. We'll move on to Catholic Church priests. Okay. Oh, you mean the accused ones? Yeah, I guess I meant the accused ones. <laughs> I wouldn't mean all of them. That would be horrible. Right. Uh, anything else? Uh, anybody who uh, was, you know, uh, apartheid, apartheid people. Sure. Uh, let's move on to YouTube video commenters, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> we would easily come up with four billion people. For sure. And they'd be like, mm, okay, I guess I agree. All right, well, great. Here's your stone. Perfect. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> Right? Yes. We got to weaponize it. We got to use this. Yes, I agree. In a positive way. Right. Get rid of all the negative nillies out there. Yeah. All yeah. the SDE. Is that a thing? I don't know. <laughs> <That's a thing. laughs> we are uh, punching below our age here. <laughs> uh, and I don't think it, it's a good look for us. Oh. Uh, us being the Just Enough Trope podcast. I'm your host, Caliban. Joined as always by my co-host. Hi, I'm Mikan Hana. And Mikan Hana is going to say a lot in just a little bit. I am. Um, not so much uh, so far, but we're going to get there. Oh, okay. Um, I'm going to ask her opinion candidly on the upcoming kids YA film, The House with a Clock in Its Walls. Uh, yeah, it looks complicated and um, not so much... I don't know. It just seems like not incredibly entertaining. It it seems kind of like, why are we doing this? Obviously, it's based off of a book, but um, did we adapt too like Slavic like too much to the book? Like, is it following the book too closely? I learned a lot. <laughs> did you read the book? No. Where are you going? With this? I don't know. Okay, great. Um, did you ever do extemporaneous? In speech? Uh-uh. No? Okay. No. I wouldn't have guessed. Um, what I want to know is, and I learned a lot about this film because uh, I saw the preview, thought, yes. that looks so tired. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Kate Blanchett, I think we've agreed, has now reached the Nicole Kidman uh, right now phase of her career mm-hmm. where it's like, I'll do anything. Yes. I'll, sure, I'll do it. Yeah. But then I, so that's what I thought was going on. Then I learned that, no, it's produced by Steven Spielberg. Right. So that's, you know, you want to do that. That's probably good money. Right. It's directed by Eli Roth. 
weirds me this out. It's an Eli Roth movie. That weirds me out beyond anything else. Yes. Um, it's PG, of course. Of course. So but. with all that going for it, why does Jack Black look so sleepy? Why is he sleepwalking through this? I don't know. And when you get Jack Black, you know, Jack Black is like, almost is he 50? Like, he's close. He's got to be up close to it. Uh, I get it. You know, you can't maintain that energy forever. But this is where you, this is what you save it for. Right. Ooh, I'm your uncle. Ooh, there's magic and clock in the walls. But right. But he's just doing that like, what's up? This is um, a web video that I'm doing I'm for a Jack friend. Black. No, it's not. It's a Spielberg film. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Um, I guess maybe a review comes out late in the month. Maybe. Probably not as close to Halloween as they wanted. But Probably not. It's coming out pretty soon. Yeah. Speaking of Nicole Kidman. Yes. I did do Extemporaneous, by the way. Yeah. In speech. Uh, Nicole Kidman is in a film that is premiering um, at the Venice Film Festival. Okay. Uh, it's a new look for her, so to speak. It's called Destroyer. Okay. And basically, um, the whole conversation around it revolves around how she looks horrible. They've She's gone ugly for this one. Oh, okay. You know, Great. A la Charlize Theron for Monster. Sure. And it actually seems kind of interesting. It actually seems like a ripoff of True, De- True Detective. But it's okay. like she plays this character who is um, was an FBI agent. And it's sort of like, here's the pitch. Like, what if Clarice Starling didn't catch Buffalo Bill at the end of right. okay. Signs of the Lambs? Okay. And then it just that just haunted her and, like, kind of ruined her life. And, you know, it's 25 years later. Okay. All right. True Detective. Yeah. Cole Rust. Rust Cole. Times Flat Circle. Whatever. Right. Remember True Detective? I didn't see all of it. I only saw a little bit of it. Let's go watch True Detective. <laughs> okay. Why'd you stop? I think you continued watching it without me. Oh. Well, you didn't complain about it. Anyway. Anyways. Time is a flat circle. Uh, that's all you need to know. Okay. So she's going ugly for it. And okay. now everybody's talking about it. And the Oscar buzz has begun already. What do you think about women having to go ugly to get recognized? Your time begins. Two minutes. I think it's terrible. Um, I, I think that women should be able to be recognized no matter what how they look even if they're unrecognizable yeah <laughs> um and i don't think you should have to go ugly to get an oscar nom i mean i think that's ridiculous remember when tom cruise went ugly in magnolia did he no no i didn't think so no he didn't <laughs> yeah he's never gone ugly so he has he didn't have to cuz actors don't it, they're not contingent on their Oscar noms aren't contingent on if they're ugly or not. As it has been proven. Yes. Your two minutes aren't over yet. Okay. okay. <laughs> Fine. I just kidding. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I just was curious what you thought about that. Because uh, I had my, you know, just inspired feminist uh, thought process activate over seeing that article. Yeah. And I haven't seen the movie. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It, I expect it's probably pretty good because she's very she's talented. She's a good actress. Yeah. Um, although, is she? I think she is. I used to think so. I don't know what made me change my mind. I think she kind of does one thing. She does it really well. Yeah. Maybe she doesn't have like a ton of range, but sure. she does like that one thing that she does really well. Mm-hmm. And that that's a that's a skill for actors as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's how people like Tom Cruise, who I don't, isn't bad either. They just kind of do that one thing. Yeah. Tom. This time, Tom Cruise is a dad. This time, Tom Cruise is actually every time Tom Cruise is fighting aliens. But you know, this time <laughs> Tom Cruise has got a drinking problem. Right. This time, Tom. A lot going on with Tom Cruise. Yeah, I know. <laughs> 
This time, Tom Cruise is, uh, you know, working for a, a cult that uh, bilks its uh, members of its money. That's right. And believes in aliens. Yeah. He's on the side of the aliens. <laughs> That's the twist this time around. Right. Um, speaking of twists, let's twist the cap off and start drinking this show. Okay. Stretch? Yeah, maybe a little bit. Uh, we talked to Melissa F. Olson at Convergence of this year, mm -hmm. and we did a really uh, satisfying uh, and substantial uh, interview. Yes. A turkey dinner of an interview with her, and we want to yeah. present it in its entirety here. So mm -hmm. that'll be um, most of this show, pretty much the whole thing. Mm -hmm. I think we'll do a, a little bit of news quick just to get through that, and then we'll get to our talk with Melissa, uh, who's the author of... Uh, she is the author of uh, old world books. Uh, they're... <laughs> Are they like <laughs> cookbooks? No. Manja. No. <laughs> yeah, um, you're the, making the spaghetti. The Scarlet. Dead Spots. Dead Spots. Trail of the Dead. <laughs> Hunter's I Trail. If I threw to you, you'd <laughs> be able to pick up that. Well, okay. She's author of the Scarlet Bernard series and the Allison Luther series. And uh, she also did... Um, the Tor novellas, yeah. which are the Nightshade novellas, yeah, uh, and uh, the Big Keep, which is mm -hmm. a straightforward um, mystery yeah. series, uh, mystery so. uh, detective noir. Yeah, we saw a noir movie recently. Yes, we did. Do we spoil it here? Uh, sure, we saw the Maltese about, Falcon. Yeah, the Maltese Falcon. We're thinking about doing it for. Um, maybe we'll talk about it on another show, but. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, we could do that. Um, what'd you think? Oh, of you'd seen it before. Of the Maltese Falcon? I but thought you, it was you, good. You hadn't th seen it with your like movie head on. No, you're right. Um, I probably saw it like in high school. Um, yeah, yeah. Maybe for film studies class, I'm not sure. But I did definitely see it at one point. Um, and I had forgotten exactly what happened. I knew there was a Maltese Falcon. I knew that was an actual figure of a statue, right. what have you. Um, and I knew that there were a bunch of people fighting over it, but I couldn't remember the particulars. So I, I never got when I was younger um, that you know something that comes from Malta is Maltese. I guess. Yeah, I didn't really get that before either. So I, I always thought that like Maltese was like a term for something that was black or, okay. or lacquered or something. Sure, <laughs> like that. So I could get that. That's not true. No. Uh, you know, watching it this time, and this is a film that I have seen probably 25 times. Okay. And I've read the book. I've read um, all of Hammett's books. I was a big noir detective guy in my day. Sure. Having seen it this last time, mm -hmm. I don't think it's very good. Really? I, mean, I don't think it's that great. Huh. I think there are, you know, from Bogey, obviously, uh, Sidney Greenstreet, Peter Lorre, um, even Elisha Cook, uh, of course, I've mentioned last but not least, uh, Mary Astor. Like, there's some yep. amazing talent in it. Mm -hmm. And for the time, and this is right around the, like, the Hayes Code is pretty much coming in at this point. So mm -hmm. uh, you're not going to see anything all that bad on the screen. But right. for the time, it was like a scuzzy kind of film. It's not the kind of thing you're going to see usually, you know. A, yeah. a year later, we see um, Casablanca, almost the exact same cast. Yeah. And... Uh, and that's about like a guy who runs a sleazy bar and it's like Nazis and stuff like that. And that's kind of more uh, wholesome and on the up and up than this like kind of like scuzzy kind of story. You know, our hero yeah. is sleeping with his partner's wife. I know. <laughs> and, he's, and he's like 
mean and he's if he he doesn't but if he hit a lady you wouldn't you wouldn't really flinch you'd be like yeah it seems like he probably hit a lady right so i like all those elements but it's just i think i joked the other day that it was like okay now i'm gonna write down all these a bunch of names on a piece of paper and i want you to read them back to me (laughs) (laughs) the the um Judicious and timely use of a telephone is a plot point. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. And there's one part where it's like, I got to go. I got a phone call. And they go and there's an empty lot. and There's nothing there. And it's like, that's the kind of thing where he comes back in later and they go, what'd you find out? And he's like, there's nobody there. It was an empty lot. Right. We don't we, have to see you to go to an empty see lot. That. Yeah. yeah, no, I agree with you. <laughs> there's just for a lot sure. of things like that. Yeah. I hope we get to see him turn all the lights on in his apartment. I oh, know. Good. Are I we going to see him make that coffee? Do you um, respect and and get now more uh, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid? Oh, man. Come on, I'll make you my famous famous Java. Uh, I I don't know because I feel like I need to... No, I I do not hate it. I feel like I need to rewatch it. Um, (laughs) Really? Yeah, I do. So... Yeah. Um, um, so anyway, uh, not not impressed. Mm. People always hold it up as this great thing. I think it yeah. was. I mean, it was. It was huge. It remains huge. But I think that it's still thought of as huge and amazing and great because yes. Leonard Maltin thinks that it's huge and amazing and great. Like yes. I think, you know, we went the screening we went to uh, at the sort of local art house theater. You know, half the audience were guys under twenty five. Sure. Somebody even go, went woo after it was over. <laughs> Yeah, like I it know. It was a Comic Con panel, <laughs> and so it's like, all and right, clapping. So there's Woo a new. Ge- this is the new generation. I yeah. was where you were. Yeah. All I'm saying is, it's fine. It's fine. I bet there's even. Well, I'm trying to think of some of the other noirs now. There are better noirs for sure. Okay. So this is when you do what? You do a remake. 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 Yep. Yeah. Remake it. Mm-hmm. That's what I say. Mm-hmm. Period piece. Sure. Or not. I Actually, the whole thing could have been solved piece. on the internet in five years. Yeah, minutes. exactly. I think you have to make it a period piece. So where is the Do you have the bird? Uh, let me look at the tracking number. DHL <laughs> Global. Oh, it's coming in on the Paloma. It looks like the FedEx lost it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I can have it in a few days. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, remake it. I don't know. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's talk about the news. The reports of the death of movies has been greatly exaggerated. Okay. Death of movies. What do you mean? All this talk, talk, talk about streaming. Streaming is going to kill movies. Theaters closing everywhere. Okay. You know, it's a disaster. Well, Summer Box Office has made $4.8 billion. Yeah. Yikes. That's a lot. That is not a record, but it is close. Okay. It is up there. All right. Well, that doesn't seem like movies are dead, if you ask me. No. And that's just the summer. Sure. That doesn't count the... $1.67 $1.67 billion that Black Panther has made. Right. Uh, worldwide. Um, I mean, Avengers alone made uh, $260 million in mm-hmm. its opening weekend. Yes. Uh, Crazy Rich Asians is made another $30 million over the Labor Day weekend. That's crazy. Bringing it to $100 million in three weeks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't happen. No, it doesn't. That never happens. Mm-mm. So I bet Netflix I is like, we almost had them. Right. Right. I think it it says something that two of the movies you mentioned, one of them is primarily uh, black actors and the other is primarily Asian actors. I think that maybe 
U.S. audiences are more hungry for that sort of stuff. No, I don't think so. You don't think uh, so? <laughs> yeah, no, pro- of course, of course they are. <laughs> but at the same time, audiences will go see uh, Mark Wahlberg in uh, another Transformers movie. That's true. Uh, although they've gone less, but they still go. Yes. So I think that, yes, there is definitely a thirst for more representation. Mm-hmm. Um, as politicized as idiots have made that. Yeah. But... There's just a thirst for all kinds of stuff. I think yep. there's enough money out there for people to see whatever looks good. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, and I think that um, you, the audiences for those films have, um, I mean, they're not primarily black audiences necessarily for Black Panther or primarily Asian audiences for Crazy Rich Asians. I think everybody's going to see these films. And I think that that is a testament to maybe how good the films are um, and that we should see more representation in films. Your two Um, minutes is not up yet. (laughs) Uh, I think Kendrick Lamar buying out that theater for black kids to see Black Panther is what put it over the top. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's what I think happened. All right. Uh, what else is going on in comics? Uh, some classic comics stories, uh, some sad stories. Uh, we talked about Aretha passing at the beginning of the show. Yes. But uh, Marie Severin died recently. Yes, I heard about uh, that. At 89. Okay. That's a good run. That's a pretty good run. <laughs> Ask me in 10 years. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, of a stroke. Uh, she was for, I'm trying to encapsulate or summarize her career and it's impossible Mm -hmm. because she has worked for so long uh she was a um uh an artist uh for marvel comics in the 60s and 70s uh she was a colorist but basically she was like the um the main colorist Mm -hmm. like that you know her style was drove the uh, colors of uh, marvel comics in 60s and 70s and also ec comics as well Mm -hmm. she worked for a long time uh, with ec comics and she's won a ton of awards, and she's in the um, Eisner Hall of Fame, and yeah, um, she just had um, created, she helped create Spider-Woman. Right. And also, you know, I mean, <laughs> so this is a whole thing with Marvel, but like, remember that the Marvel style is artist and writer collaboration. Sure. And so just because she's the artist on a book, mm-hmm. um, th- that means that she's the writer in a lot of ways as well. Sure. You know? So I consider th- that she wrote a lot of those Iron Mans or Conans, you know, depending on if she you know, was doing the pencils or not. Sure. Um, I, fr- I got, first got turned on to her uh, from her old Doctor Strange uh, stories in Strange Tales. Okay. When they would do the... Um, Oh man, there's a there's a hot run in the late 60s of Strange Tales where it's uh, Jim Steranko is doing uh, the Nick Fury side. Sure. And then Marie Severin is doing the uh, Doctor Strange side. And it's okay. just bam, 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 bam. It's just great stuff. Huh. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's really sad. She, you can't overestimate uh, the influence that she's had and she'll be right. missed. No, I agree. Uh, I also wanted to mention that uh, <laughs> Ali Oop, the comic strip caveman, is going extinct. What? <laughs> That's not. I, I got that from Deadline. Uh, <laughs> Jack and Carol Bender uh, are the artists on Alley Oop, a comic okay. that has been, oh boy, like I said, it's been around for eighty um, something years, and okay. uh, it got its start by in the 1932 uh, by a comic artist uh, and cartoonist called uh, V.T. Hamlin. And it's basically about the adventures of this caveman. He lives okay. in like the prehistoric land of Moo. 
and uh, he gets sent through a time machine and then ends up like in our time. And it's just one of those strips that, you know, along with uh, the Spider-Man strip that's sure. still going today, mm-hmm. I think. Um, it's just been one of the mainstays of like Mark Trail, <laughs> that sort of thing. Sure. Okay. And the comic pages. Never read an alley-oop, I guess. No, I never read an alley-oop. Um, but it's going extinct, you said, so they're gonna they're stopping yes. creating it? they're finally going to stop it. Okay. Uh, the new strips will end uh, in a few weeks, and they're going to run reruns, I think, until the end of the year, and then and that's then it for done. alley-oop. Okay. You have to wonder where these things are being carried, because I don't think I've ever actually seen an alley-oop in the paper. I don't think I have either. Um, I mean, I used to read the comic strips the funnies whatever you want to call them um pretty regularly when i was growing up so well um sad news here's some good news okay so actually it starts with bad news Uh uh-oh you ready I, i guess so uh the nobel academy will not be giving a prize for literature this year why well, there's a lot going on with them. Okay. Uh, there's like a sexual assault scandal that's going on with one of the members of the Academy. Okay. Uh, and things are kind of messed up. And so um, there's a, uh, uh, some, some of the people, uh, some of the intelligentsia in Sweden you know, that are involved with um, the Nobel voting created something called the New Academy. Okay. Which is like a fill-in thing. I mean, it's not an official Nobel Prize, but they are going to award a prize uh, in place of that okay. called the new prize for literature. All right. So this could be a good, maybe this will go on. Maybe it'll serve as like, you know, an alternative, a Golden Globes to the Nobel's Oscars. Okay. And the nominees are Maurice Conde, Haruki Murakami, Kim Thoi, and Neil Gaiman. Oh, Have all okay. been selected as the four finalists. All right. Well, that's intriguing. And um, to, as a little background, um, we've known that this is going to be a thing for a while. So um, they contacted... Um, the librarians of the country oh. <laughs> to put together uh, a list of nominees okay. uh, and had people like Neil Gaiman, Joyce, jo- uh, Joyce Carol Oates, J.K. Rowling, uh, and so on and so forth. Wow. Okay. All right. Um, J.K. Rowling, I'm kind of surprised about. I mean, I guess she, what else has she written recently? Like um, The Cursed Child? I guess. Um, I think she's helped write the the movies that have been coming out but there's no corresponding books for those as far as i know yeah and it's cool and i actually hope that this prize goes on because okay. the um the, the nobel uh, academy doesn't um they don't really award genre fiction oh okay i see yeah that's you know it's not really what happens all right uh, i think yeah well i hope it goes on too then i think the golden notebook by doris lessing was the only book to be a like a genre book that was uh, awarded the nobel prize for okay so. All right. Well, yeah, that what is What would you nice... call... Uh, oh, no, that was that the Pulitzer? I can't remember. I should know my own stories before I start telling them. What would you call Gravity's Rainbow? Oh, boy. I don't know. Uh, is it magical Magical realism? realism? Yeah, Hyster- maybe. Well, it's hysterical realism, I think. Okay. Anyway, I feel like that's genre-esque. Yeah, it is. And they didn't award a prize that year, 1973. Oh, great. Because the three people on the committee that read it were like, yeah, this is the one. But the rest of the people who are on the committee, but not part of the literature side of it, yeah, also get to vote. And they read it and they're like, no. Really? <laughs> so the literature people just said, we're not going to give you a prize. A little trivia there. Huh. A little trivia for you. Well, when we want, they're not going to pick, so we're not going to pick one. Yes. All right. <laughs> 
Uh, bad news for the Doom Patrol show. Alan Tudyk has been cast as Mr. Nobody. Alan Tudyk, that's Mr. TV Poison. Oh, my God. Kill your show. Yeah. Well, if he ever married Summer Glau. <laughs> Stop it. All the aerials in the world would just melt. <laughs> you know, the satellites would, ex- would explode. And the uh, cables would burn up under the ground. Yeah. There'd be no more TV. Yeah. Ever. Yeah, that's not such great news. It's not a great news item. Alec Baldwin has been hired to be uh, to play Thomas Wayne in the uh, Joker movie, the uh, Todd yeah. Phillips Joker movie. Yeah, I Wait, heard about that. Hold on, Alec Baldwin has left the Todd Phillips Joker movie. What? No. As soon as it was reported, he's like, "I'm not going to do it." Yes. Really? Is this from backlash from fans or something? I don't know. He says on Twitter at. The ABF Foundation. That's his Twitter. Okay. Uh, let me state for the record that I have not been hired to play a role in Todd Phillips' Joker as some Donald Trump mank. That is not happening. Not happening. Whoa. Okay. He um. And he later told USA Today, "I'm not. <laughs> I'm stop doing it. I'm no longer doing that movie. I'm sure there are 25 guys who can play that part." <laughs> okay. Well, I guess he just decided he didn't want to be part this of the drama. This thing is going to be effed up. Yeah. Because I didn't even, I haven't really paid that much attention to this, but I didn't even get that they were going to make uh, t- uh, Thomas Wayne some kind of like Trump-like figure or something like that. This is Batman's dad. Yeah, I know. I didn't know that they were going that way. So this is going to be, either. this will not take place in BVS continuity or, or You whatever. don't think so? Well, clearly not. Somebody was speculating that they were going to make the Joker the one who killed uh, his parents. Knox? Yeah. Oh, you mean like Tim Burton's 1989 Batman? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm, original. Yeah. I'm, I'm bored. Let's end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one more thing. Uh, you're, you're not going to believe this, but Star Wars uh, is, uh, now that Disney uh, owns Star Wars, yep. um, they are expanding the... Um, Star Wars parts of their park. Sure. Um, you know, Star Wars land. You know, Tomorrowland is Star Wars land, that sort of thing. Sure. And they're going to have a Star Wars cantina, right? That's fun. To have a cantina, you need booze. Yeah. So they'll be serving booze at their Star Wars Galaxy's Edge attraction. Oh, boy. Which opens next year. Okay. Well, I mean, it makes Disney, sense famously, because... Famously, yeah. I think uh, very limited places, they do not serve beer at their parks you can't have a mickey head ice cream thing in one hand and a pbr tall boy in the other right doesn't happen i think it makes sense for them to have it because a lot of people who are going to spend their money right now in disney world or disneyland are adults living out their disney fantasy yeah but you go to the park have fun then you go back to the resort hotel and then you Where have Where the booze flows freely, I'm sure. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Just not in the parks. Yeah. Keep it at home. Yeah. <laughs> when things happen, so the, what I want to know now is we know that we get a lot of story, crazy things happen in Florida, and we hear yes. about it because however the laws work of being able to report on ongoing investigations or whatever, you know, Florida man, no problem. You go right to the press. Yeah. So that's why it's not so, I mean, crazy things happen in Florida, but Florida gets a bad rap because crazy things happen in other states too, but you hear about them from Florida. Yes, you do. But there's got to be some kind of blackout because it's like the kids getting kidnapped or molested or whatever. Like you never hear about that, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because Disney controls things. So I would be interested to see, it's like the... 
the responsibility uh, and abstemiousness of tra- travelers and tourists to their parks mm-hmm. versus the crime to news pipeline versus the uh, white gloved wall of silence. Oh my god! That Disney puts up. When are we gonna get our first, you know, man jumps off of Ewok Village set? <laughs> like, oh my god! A story. <laughs> It probably won't take long, to uh, be honest. Right. Man yeah. punches Goofy's head off right. uh, in drunken brawl. Right. Traumatizes children. Right. <laughs> Film at 11. <laughs> All right, let's get to our interview with author Melissa Frickin Olson. We talked All to right. her at Convergence of 2018 in a stairwell. Yes. Uh, all concrete brick, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it, the sound came out pretty good. Yeah, it sounds full. It sounds rich. Oh, good. Here it is. I have a nine-year-old. Yeah. Um, who uh, loves um, the MCU Legos and climbing trees and Pokemon. Like that's all of her interests. Sure. And so I offered to let her come with me to a day of this convention. And she said, well, mom, since that's my first one, can I dress up? And I was like, sure, sure you can dress up. And then she said, well, since it's my first one, would you dress up with me? (laughs) And I had not realized the sophistication of the trap. Uh, (laughs) So we had just been to see Black Panther. And I'm already thinking, Disney Store has Black Panther costumes that are great. And I could wear, like, I have a sweater that says Professor Xavier's School um, for Gifted Children. Bam, done. Okay. Uh, so I'm like, sure, yeah, we'll dress up. And, uh, and I'm like, what do you want to dress up as? And she just does not miss one beat. She just looks dead into my eyes and goes, fairies. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. What hath man wrought? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was so, sh- like, I had to actually stop and admire the completeness of the hoodwinkery sure. that had gone on. Because I don't, I don't like people staring at me. Like, <laughs> I know that sounds silly because I do panels, but I, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I just get weirded out by people <laughs> evaluating my outfit. Yeah. And that's their job. Like, that's what I've asked for. I've asked you to evaluate my outfit. Sure. Um, so yeah, I'm not excited. But here's the thing about me, my stupid personality is that I don't do anything halfway. So yeah. if we're gonna be fairies, we're gonna be the best f-ing fairies at this convention. Are they like? Is this like a tooth fairy, like a wings, a cute fairy, or is it this like a serious fairy? Okay, well, obviously we're forest fairies. Oh, okay. Well, sure. I, I don't know why you didn't just look at me and see I, that in my heart. I'm already regretting asking. Yeah, you should be, because <laughs> I'm regretting everything about this experience. <laughs> But it's kind of so, like Halloween, though. You've done Halloween, right? Um, yeah, when I was 13. No, I mean, but for your kids, you don't dress up? Or you you just, know, when on, we... I, I'm a big fan of the one accessory. Like, oh, okay. Like, t- you take them trick-or-treating with, like, a funny hat. Yeah. You know? Right. Or... Um, what are you? I'm a parent. Yes. <laughs> yes. Or, like, like the Professor Xavier sweater. Like, that's the yeah. kind of thing I do. That's... Or, or like, I have, I have tons of T-shirts that are, like you know, reference some geekery or whatever. And that's great. But, um, yeah, no, I walked right into this one real hard. <laughs> and I have to say, I have gained so much respect and awe for cosplayers because oh, yeah. the amount of work, like, 
even for a generic thing like a forest fairy where I have the freedom, you know, it's not like I'm trying to copy an exact uh, character and have to get every detail right. Like I get to make up my own details and still like just from everything from like the accessories and the hair and the makeup and like figuring out, well, well, what shoes would a forest fairy wear? These are the questions I ask myself in my life now, (laughs) you know? And just moving around, like sitting down becomes like a challenge. My wings are rad. Like I went for the big wings. Like I split, well, not, not big large wise, but I really splurged on some beautiful wings on Etsy, Mm. figuring, you know, if I get nice durable wings, my kids are going to play with them forever. Sure. Um, And so my wings are amazing. Like, I'm just going to say that they're amazing. I'm actually trying to get the rest of the costume to live up to the wings, the promise of the wings. Sure. Um, but yeah, like sitting down is is going to be a challenge, and there may even need to be turning to go through doorways. Okay, sure. So, <laughs> yeah, it's I have regrets. I was googling vampires the other day, just going through because, like they talked about on the panel, there's so many mm-hmm. different kinds of vampires and there's so many different yeah, traditions. Yeah, it's there's actually an academic theory called the the universal vampire. Uh, just like the universal traits that they all share, or like what what's behind the vampirism? No, the idea is that, um, like we kind of talked about in our recent panel, that cultures there are cultures all over the world who had absolutely no way of communicating with each other, mm-hmm. that all developed a myth of a vampire at the same time. And there are variations of it, but the common themes were, you know, coming back from the dead and um, some sort of parasitic relationship with humans. So it might be eating their babies or drinking their blood or stealing their soul. Um, But if you look into vampires, so this is called the universal, the theory of the universal vampire, because like it's, in, from a fiction sense, you could spin this into proof that vampires are real, right? If you really yeah, wanted to. Sure. Because how else could this many cultures who have nothing in common and no way to talk to each other? I mean, China and the, and, you know, the U.S. territories were not talking yeah, at that time. Island nations, you right. know, like in Micronesia. Right, yes. Yeah. They all had these ideas. So you, don't, you really have to start thinking about what is universal about human fears. Mm-hmm. And that's where it came in. But I definitely interrupted what you were saying about no, Googling it, vampires. No, this is where I was going with it, yeah. Um, specifically, I, was, I found this new theory. I don't know if it's new that people are asking. Uh, do vampires poop? Oh, yeah, no, they And don't. I never thought about that. So they don't. No. Not well, even like dried blood. Well, I, I mean, first of all, remember, I don't I don't know if anyone's told you if this is going to come as a shock, but they're I'm not ready. actually real. Oh, the guys. But so every writer who who works with vampires in fiction gets to come up with their own system of rules. Yeah. So in my version of events, like vampires are a perfectly efficient machine. Like they take in blood that pumps the body or that pumps the blood in their own body, which keeps things oxygenated for their thoughts. But there's no waste, you know, Mm -hmm. which is what poop is. I mean, poop and urine are are waste products. So if if you only consume one thing and that thing is energy efficient for you, you won't have waste products. But that's my thing. Another great one is can vampires swim? Oh, are they buoyant? Yes, because they're dead. Right. Um, again, in my world, no, because my vampires have very human physiologies, sure. um, with the exception of like heightened strength and speed and hearing. 
but I have read vampire stories where vampires like can walk on the bottom of the lake. Yeah, right. You know, or the they don't sink. You yeah. know, werewolves tend to sink, even though real wolves are great swimmers. Yeah, sure. It's really interesting when you when you start pulling apart these like details, and and looking at, you know, in some ways like for me with wolves, there's a cheat code. You, you know, I look at real wolf pack behavior mm -hmm. and I've studied wolf um, interactions and uh, re interviewed um, a biologist at UW-Madison <laughs> who works with wolves. By the way, that's a rough conversation yeah, to go so. <laughs> in to this man who is a professional biologist, very, you know, well regarded in his field and sure. be like, so listen <laughs> about alpha werewolves. <laughs> uh, you, it's, you just, you feel like an ass. Yeah. So, so, so wolves, uh, are good swimmers. Yes. Werewolves are not generally thought of as good. Um, good swimmers. well in Patricia Briggs, uh, series, which is probably the most popular werewolf um, series in urban fantasy right now, they are too heavy and dense and they sink. Okay. But they have to breathe, right? They do. Because, because moose, is that the plural of moose? Mises, mooses? You know what? Moose, I think we could just make our own. Moose are good swimmers. It's like the inverse yeah. square law. The bigger you are, the bigger your lungs need to be in there right. for. I believe it's a density issue rather than a, um, size issue. The world's a dense man. They're really Yeah. Dense. Well, in her, um, in her series, you do not have the law of what, it, which one of Newton's law is it? The conservation of mass. Okay. So, um, uh, a 180 pound man turns into like a 500 pound werewolf. Oh, sure. Yeah. So in my books, I have the law of conservation of mass because that personally makes more sense to me. Okay. Um, so like a 180 pound pound man becomes a 180 pound werewolf, which is still a really big freaking werewolf. Yeah. <laughs> um, or a really big freaking wolf, I should say. So, um, so yeah, these, these details, when you're coming up with a world and when you're doing your world building, they can just feel very overwhelming, you know, and then you'll get readers who will ask these questions. Of course. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you'll be like, and the, the secret is to be very mysterious. Like you're keeping it from them. <laughs> well, really you have no you idea. Don't know. <laughs> so if uh, vampires don't uh, produce any waste, then at least any biological waste, you've In seen, my books. you've seen the film, uh, is it Daybreakers? The Ethan Hawke movie. Oh, I have, but it was so long ago. Yeah. Well, it, that's a world where vampires have won and taken over, basically. So sure, sure. everybody's just driving a Cadillac around or watching TV or whatever. They're all vampires. And there's some humans, they're like chattel, basically. Yeah. That would be like our ecological crisis would be over because they're not consuming uh, anything. They're not, I mean, they're throwing things away, I guess, if they've got Starbucks cups or something like that. But like that could be a world in equilibrium. Do they don't have Starbucks any would sell blood. Oh, they'd have to switch over. Yeah, for sure. I mean, what or else blood would they orange do? Or something like Their that. business model would collapse. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. As it stands, so that's a very good point. Um, I don't know if you are you a Bram Stoker fan. Um, my feelings toward Bram Stoker are complicated. Yeah, and the novel are complicated. Um, I admire it in many ways, but not nearly as much as I do like uh, Frankenstein. Okay, sure. I because you know I think I think I think of Bram Stoker a lot. Like I think of um, uh, what's the guy that did uh, the Tom 
Tom Hanks movies with the symbolologist guy, Dan uh, Brown. Dan Brown. Okay, so I think of him a lot the same way I think of Dan Brown, which is a mediocre at best writer who stumbled onto an idea that gripped people. Right. And just really, just this combination of timing and zeitgeist and um, a foreigner, universal appeal. Yeah, a foreigner coming to our shores, an invasion narrative. Yeah. 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 And, you know, and, and like it's not that either one is... It's a great story, but not great writing. Yeah. And Bram Stoker's books are are pretty sexist, or Dracula is pretty sexist. Yeah. Um, which always gives me pause. Mm-hmm. But I do. I still read that book, and I think it's scary, like to yeah. this day. And I have a really good time. You know, a couple years ago, I was at um, this release party for my my book Nightshades, and. They had done this. We did this event at Barnes and Noble, and my friend Alex Bledsoe came, and um, he, because he writes this weird vampires series set in the seventies, it's yeah. like s- disco vampires. Yeah. And um, so we did this Q and A, and somebody asked, uh, "So you guys m- talked about Dracula? Would would either of you, you know, you see all these like sequels to Dracula? Would would either of you ever write in that world? Like a Dracula book. A Dracula book." And Alex answered first, and he had this just wonderful speech about how, you know, he respects the book so much. He reads it every October. Every October he reads it. And how he respects it so much, he has nothing to add to the mythology. He feels like it would be disrespectful. And then everybody looks at me, and I'm like, well, hold my beer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I didn't write like a... I've never written Dracula the character, but I took Lucy and Arthur Holmwood, who are like side characters in yeah, the book, right. who really don't have much to do. I mean, Lucy looks pretty and dies, and then she looks pretty again and dies again, and yeah. that's her entire arc. Right. <laughs> um, and Arthur Holmwood is like the foppish winner of the contest to get married to get Lucy. Married, yeah. um, and in the book, Van Helsing leaves Arthur alone to cut off Lucy's head and give her the final death uh, in the book. And so I thought, you know, how easy would it be to just have him not do that? Sure, right. (laughs) Like, and just, because they leave him, who leaves the dude alone to cut off the head of the vampire? Like, you need witnesses. Right. (laughs) And so I actually wrote them as villains into one of my novels, the two of them. Uh And it was really fun because I made them, like, the vampire version of celebrities. Okay. Like, they're like the Brad and Angelina before they broke up of of vampires. Um, So I had just so much fun with that. That's cool. I'm always uh, surprised that... uh, Are you familiar with uh, Carmilla? Yes, of course. Um, So so many people aren't. And especially today with people looking for new types of vampire stories, like, I'm not sure that it's any better than um, Stoker's work in terms of, like, the writing, but... Well, it's a short story. It's shorter, So there's just not as much plot by nature. you know, if you want to set in the period or updated, having like a lesbian relationship, you know, with uh, the vampire and their victim. And I just feel like somebody, I'm amazed that hasn't been explored yet when they're adapting so many things and, and trying to draw from so many old books and source material. Yeah. I I think they could just stop drawing from the old books and source <laughs> material. Or did they just do that? Um, but yeah, there have been adaptations of Carmilla and there was, uh, I want to say it's called The Hunger, a... Uh, yeah. 70s or 80s. The Tony Scott. Movie. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Lesbian vampire romance um, movie. 
So it has been inspirational, but it does not get the same kind of play that the other two do. Even John Polidori's The Vamp, the Vampire, with vampire, a with a Y, the Vampire, yeah. Yeah. Um, gets a little bit more attention, and that mean is probably mainly because of the connection to Mary Shelley. Uh, Stoker falls down the stairs when he's uh, in college or something, dies. Do we ever get? vampires like we've got them now does anybody pick up that byronic torch and run with it i'm sure we would get vampires because the vampire myth did not begin with him but he really caramelized a recipe <laughs> that, delicious <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i mean he took these elements that um blood libel which mm. was the the anti-semitic fear um that the incoming eastern europeans were eating Christian children. Yeah. Because that's logical, right? Yeah, that's that, what they'd want to do. That's a thing. I come to this new country, the first thing I want to do is find a Where kid the with at. a different religion <laughs> yeah, yeah, and right. just drink the blood. <laughs> Not even eat them, but drink the blood. Yeah. But so he took this sort of xenophobia and anti specifically anti Semitism, these horrifying rumors about blood libel. Mm. And he and he kind of stirred them in with this vampire myth that was already kind of percolating that had a lot to do with you know what we've talked about with um trying to figure out what happens to people after death and why bodies you know uh skin retracts so it always looks like nails are growing and yeah. hair is growing um and that scared the crap out of people and so i think stoker took this moment and he found this perfect way to sensationalize these fears and kind of bring them all together into this story. Yeah. And you got to respect the guy for seeing this cultural opportunity and taking it. Yeah. Just like Dan Brown. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know if you guys remember when, what's the, what's the first book called? The Dan da Vinci Brown? Code? Da Vinci Code. Yeah. I don't know if you guys remember when that book first came out. They were like, bookstores were like, were just puking out behind the scenes of the Da Vinci Code, the real Da Vinci Code, mm -hmm. the inspiration of the Da Vinci Code, yeah. Da Vinci's real ideas. Like there were all these like, not even not even just knockoffs, but like all of these like supporting documentation and these mysteries and things. Um, and so so yeah, I I have a lot of respect for the book, but I I think Stoker in many ways. Was was a dude that got lucky, and yeah. then not really even in his lifetime, mm -hmm. which is kind of a sad thing for him. Yeah. Do you uh, do witches at all? I do. Actually, one of my series is specifically about a witch who accesses death magic, sure. kind of against her will, and it's actually the one of the bigger swings I've taken as a writer, um, because my first trilogy uh, is about a, a young woman named Scarlett Bernard, who's, you know, a very sort of typical urban fantasy hero in some way, where she's sarcastic, you know, she's, um, she's, she's, she reacts with everything with a smart-ass remark. Sure. And then, um, and she's also a very, very reluctant hero. She is a classic, like, John McClane, if only someone else could do this, I could go the hell home <laughs> because I don't want to be involved with any of this. Right. Um, and so when I was writing a spinoff, I really wanted to write something different, but I didn't want to just do the opposite of her. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up writing about a um, former, like an uh, Iraq war vet um, who gets home and she has sort of these PTSD type symptoms 
and she's really struggling and she sort of feels like she's just got this dark cloud over her that everybody would love to diagnose for her as anger management and PTSD and depression. And she just feels it. And in her case, it's actual magic that she has access to that she's never really known. Um, And so she can't die because her magic deals with the boundary between living and dead. So, um, and her twin sister is killed and the two of them can talk because they both have this magic in their blood. Mm. So they can kind of talk across this bridge. So it's been really interesting because, you know, I have always written about witches as like background characters, but to bring a witch is into like the main character and the protagonist in the book has been really interesting because I've had to do so much more research on paganism and um, Wicca and also the necromancy and sort of these spiritualism and these different beliefs about yeah. what witches are capable of. There's no real, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's no You're real... Uh, okay, well, um, I'm going to wrongly good. say that there's no real uh, Dracula of, of witch movies. Movies or books? Um, no, movies. Just talking about, you know, movies. All the witch movies seem to be kind of... What be... about the witches? <laughs> the Roald Dahl one? Yeah. Yeah, okay, there's that. That sure. would be scary as shit, man. Uh, or like uh, Hocus Pocus or, or something oh. like that. But there is Now, that's any... got a special place in my heart. <laughs> yeah, well. It's right here. Like, the it's left ventricle, yeah. Right. <laughs> like the left ventricle is devoted to hocus pocus. Uh, we um, watched the craft the other day. We were talking about the craft, yeah. and um, we. I was surprised to learn that. Whereas, you're, as you're watching it, you're thinking, "I think this is all real stuff." And they did do a lot of research yeah. uh, in, into Wicca yeah. and stuff like that. But then uh, the person who who helped them with the research must have been like. Oh my God! What are you doing? Because the whole end of the movie is about how they do all this evil stuff and yeah, they're they throwing things at each other. And yeah. Well, and when you do when you research real Wicca, um, and and the, and you know, there's distinctions here between paganism and Wicca and witchcraft. Those are three different things mm. with a lot of overlap. Um, but witches believe that many witches believe that whatever they put out into the world will come back to them threefold. Mm-hmm. And that is a, a theme that I think comes up in the craft. Yeah. It's been probably 20 years since I saw that movie. <laughs> but um, the when you apply that into fiction, it becomes really interesting because you have these witches who are slinging spells or you know using their magic for different things. Mm-hmm. And what if you honestly believed that whatever you do is gonna come back at you three times as hard. Right. Like, I would be so much nicer right. as a person. <laughs> a lot of ice cream spells and <laughs> giving yes. out gift baskets yes. to people. And, yes. Yeah. Um, man, my secret Santa game would be <laughs> yeah. off the hook. <laughs> Through the roof. Um, so, so, you know, there's a lot of really interesting ideas in witchcraft, but I think you're right. I don't think there's a like a Dracula, like a, a grandfather movie, but I do think there are many touchstone movies like Mm. The Craft or Practical Magic Mm -hmm. or um, Hocus Pocus where we associate it with witchcraft for better or for worse, Mm. even though most of those aren't very good depictions of what real real witches consider themselves to be. Yeah. And maybe the difference is that witches are often like people, uh, characters, heroes that we're following that are using the magic, whereas the vampires of the world are often just the monsters, the bad guys to be destroyed. There's always seems to be a theme of like 
getting and using power or having too much power and like giving up the power like at the end of the film. Yeah, the obsession with power in a lot of these stories is sort of frustrating um, because, you know, when you start writing anything in the urban fantasy genre, you have to ask yourself like, what would a vampire want? Mm -hmm. Like, you're a vampire. You wake up tomorrow and you're a vampire. Great. So you're going to have to let go of this whole friends and family thing that's done. Yeah. Um, because they can't know, obviously. So what do you want? I mean, money is not going to be hard to get because you have probably mind control powers or at the very least you can really sit out a stock, you know, until it, <laughs> right. until it makes money. Right. So like, what is it you want? And I think too often these um, many books and movies in this genre, they just go straight to world domination. Like yeah. no shortcuts. Like I want it all. Uh, but honestly, doesn't world domination sound like a sucky job? It's labor intensive. So, yeah. I mean, this idea of power being the only possible goal for a monster is, is, gets kind of frustrating to me because right. I think it does make sense for, of course, in some stories and some situations, but I think it's fallen back on too often. You know, like a lot of my vampires want to hold a territory and protect the people in it, okay. you know, or, or, you know, hold a territory and torture the people in it because they're not good. Sure. Um, but, but like just having a, a kind of goal is, is really interesting when you start looking at these different monsters and different, um, witches and things like that. Yeah. Just, Get a project, uh, work on, uh, like a gonna, vampire scientist maybe who needs to do research. Well, see, but this is another thing, though, is you can't become too famous. That's true. So you can't, it's not like you can decide, I'm going to be the greatest actress that the world has ever seen. That's not going to work. Yeah. Or it'll work for like two years and then you're going to have to like disappear. Yeah. But there are know. a lot, for actors, there's there's a lot of uh, where are they now type things, you know, yeah. so you might be able to disappear and come back yeah, as your no, daughter you could have or something. a solid like 40 year career, yeah. you know? Right. Um, but then, but then what? You know, like, you can't really be a politician. Fake a car accident. You can't even hang out with, in the world of cameras now, you can't even really hang oh, out right. with would celebrities. You, would you show up on camera? Well, mine do because, uh, in my universe, silver is a wonky metal that causes magical disturbances, and okay. mirrors used to be made with silver. Sure. Right. Um, so and so did photography. So now that that's not a thing, everything's digital. They show up. Sure. But Makes sense. you know, different things for different Makes series. Sense. But yeah, so I mean, you you're you're really limited in terms of you can't become too famous, um, and you can't you know like overreach like world domination is not going to work if you're only awake for 10 to 12 hours a <laughs> <Right>. day. <laughs> you know, I'm Everyone sorry. behave. I'll but be back. Yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> man, it, you'd be like the maid. Like every every morning you or every night you'd wake up and you'd be like, God, I just put this back together. Right, and yeah. you guys crap, like trash it again. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's it's an interesting question of just goals. Yeah. You'd have to be, have some ambition as well. Like, what if you're just some dude and you get bit by a vampire yeah. and now you're a vampire? I think it would work really well to be, like, a writer or a painter because you could go for a long time claiming, like, claiming to be influenced mm -hmm. by someone else's work, okay. by previous work. Sure. So, like, you could write mysteries for 25 years, 50 years. Right. And then you could switch genres and write about, you know, historical romance. 
sure. that's influenced by that previous Yeah, author. in the style of yeah, so-and-so. Yeah, in the so. style of, yeah. <laughs> and then you could call it an homage. Sure, yeah. And that would work really well, too. Have you uh, seen a film called The Covenant? Oh my gosh, I think I have. Um, a long time ago, you may it not didn't make a big impression. Have. No, uh, it's it's about male witches. Yes. Yes. And there, they wasn't have... there like there was like a car crash or I don't know. That was one of the big special effects. They blew their whole budget on. But the idea is that <laughs> they're all um, descendants of um, the Putnams, you know, from Salem Colony when the sure, witch sure. trials were going on. And it's, I mean, it's not good. Like it's a yeah. bad film. Um, but I just thought it was like somebody saw the craft and went, we can do that. What about like abs instead of like girls? And so it's just a bunch of like uh, Sebastian Stan is in it. Um, yep. Taylor Kitsch is in it. And one it's of a the, bunch of like, one of the dudes from Roswell, I want to say. Um, yeah, maybe anyway, maybe. you know, what's interesting to me in terms of urban fantasy, you have these television shows that translate you know, maybe maybe are based on books or maybe not, but you can have these really successful, really qu- high quality urban fantasy TV shows like iZombie, Buffy, um, Supernatural, uh, some of the Vampire Diaries. Like, it, it really works well in that medium. Mm-hmm. But every movie that, tr- not everyone, but the movies that successfully play in that urban fantasy space are so few and far between. I remember watching this Vin Diesel movie called The Last Witch Hunter. Yeah, yeah. And it's honestly a perfect adaptation of a urban fantasy novel that doesn't exist. <laughs> really? <laughs> like, like imagine a really great urban fantasy novel and somebody translates it to a movie and it's, you know, how sometimes it just feels kind of wooden and like they didn't quite, sure. quite harness the book's charm. Yeah. That's what that movie is, only it wasn't based on a book. Okay. Um, and there's elements that, that should have been ground down um, edges like by the Hollywood machine, but yeah. are still there. Like, yeah. we go back to a flashback and it's like, why are we seeing this? Yeah. I mean, it's neat, but it doesn't really... Yeah. yeah. No, it, it, it feels like a book adaptation that do- wasn't done very well. Hmm. Um, or one of my favorite urban fantasy films is The Sorcerer's Apprentice okay. with Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. I think it's the best Harry Dresden movie that never happened. Okay, sure. <laughs> um, and that movie tanked. Like, yeah. it was a hard, hard dive into concrete. Do you watch uh, all those shows or do you check out those um, shows, Vampire Diaries and things like that? Some of them. You know, I found that those shows suffered the same problem that many long running urban fantasy series suffer, which is that they keep expanding too big. Okay. Like, uh, it's like a blooming onion. Like, at, at, <laughs> you know, at some point you've you've challenged the gods, right? <laughs> but but you know, like, um, there are a lot of book series where you know they start the the first book is like an introduction to the world. And the second book is we expand it a little bit, and, and then we expand it a little bit, and then by by book fourteen, it's basically like reading attendance. Like how are how are the fairies doing? Okay, how how about the werewolves? Are they all alive? Check okay, there's them. my favorite characters. Sure, sure. Yep. Okay, good. And the witches <laughs> that specialize in this shit. And okay, yeah. Now, okay. Oh crap, we're out of pages. Good good night. Um, and I think some of those like I watched the first few seasons of Vampire Diaries, and I thought it was really good. Mm-hmm. But you know those shows also suffer from the problems of contracts, oh. where um, actors leave. 
and then they have to write that into the story. Sure. And it doesn't always fit. Do they do they kill them off, or do they just say they went to Timbuktu? Or it's something? different things. Yeah. Um, but you know, they have to deal with these real life situations, like people getting pregnant, um, people. Uh, getting only having a four-year contract when everyone else had a six-year contract, so now mm. they want to leave the show. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like Vampire Diaries lost their main character and went on for another two seasons, I want to say. Oh, okay. And so, and, and plus they're constantly expanding the world way outside of w- what it actually started out as. So I think, I think there are these dangers. True Blood was the exact same thing. Like the first two seasons told a very self-contained story about like a single crime that was kind of investigated or a criminal that was investigated through the course um, of the season, just like the books. But then later they they start introducing all this weird crap, like fairies and uh, there's like just, there's like this evil fairy who's also into domestic abuse, but <laughs> he thinks he's Sookie's soulmate. There's, there's a cosplay. And like, uh. And the, the core relationships that are in the book don't, it's like they don't play out the same ways. They play no. out in weird ways. So, I mean, it just kept broadening its scope. And so that's what, one of the reasons I, I really like working in trilogies because then I kind of can't get too far mm. out, sure. like in the sort of uh, water pond, stone in the pond rings yeah. of storytelling. Right. Um, so, yeah. One of the things we've been talking about already, but we're talking about guilty pleasures a lot on our show, um, and when I'm doing a panel on them as well. You like a lot of uh, fun, uh, fringe, trashy you know, media. Do you think that a guilty pleasure is a real thing? No, I don't think that. I think the concept of guilty pleasure is something that we've made up to make ourselves feel better. Okay. But um, because we've ta- been taught to feel shame about consuming certain things. Yeah. Um, like, I remember one of my Facebook friends who's a mystery writer last year had posted about how he really liked this erotica book and not 50 shades of gray, like a, like a different one. And I remember just being like, like record scratch, like, (laughs) because we've been taught that we're supposed to feel ashamed Mm -hmm. of that. Just like we've taught that we're supposed, we've been taught we we're supposed to feel ashamed of liking something that's corny or over the top or silly. Um, you know how much I love like Congo, which is yeah, just yeah. a ridiculous garbage movie. Yeah. Um, and, and and yet so funny in so many ways. <laughs> um, but I don't feel guilty about liking Congo. I, I don't think that, I think the concept of guilty pleasure just kind of plays into a concept of shame that I don't really care for. Is there, can we top guilty pleasure? Is there a better term or name that, that exists for it? Well. So what what this problem comes down to is the ancient problem of film criticism or any criticism, which is the difference between something you like and something you think is quality. Yeah. Uh, many, many times they overlap. Everybody liked Black Panther. Everybody thought Black Panther was quality. Yeah. That's awesome when that happens. But there are a lot of movies that I think are very great movies and have I, I have no freaking desire to ever see it again. Okay, sure. Like Braveheart, yeah. Seven. Um, these movies that are just like a emotional beating and you can, you know, take a step back and look at how well made they are and how well the pieces fit together. Right. But it doesn't mean that you like it. Right. That you enjoyed watching it. Requiem for a dream is like that. For yes. Heroin sucks. I got it. I got yeah, it. Yeah, no, we get it. We get it, dude. <laughs> but I would absolutely say that that is a well-made film. Mm-hmm. Um, it checks all the boxes. Uh, but no, I never want to see that 
thing again in my entire <laughs> life. So I think that, that too often people don't understand the difference between liking something and thinking something is good. And often people think, if I don't like this, it must be good. Like It's like taking um, art medicine. Like right. People go to a Shakespeare play. They're bored because they don't try to engage with it, but they're like, I must have learned something because that was awful. Well, what I find more often is what is that a lot of people like something, so people will decide not to like it. Okay. Like, oh, well, everybody liked that movie, so I've decided that it's not good. Sure, which is constructive. Uh, yes, so <laughs> constructive. Like the snobbery thing, yeah. you know, that what is popular can't be good. Um, yeah. So I think that people don't understand that quality and likability are a Venn diagram, mm -hmm. you know, and if you get lucky, you make it into both circles. Right. Um, but I think we just kind of need to forgive ourselves for sometimes liking things that we don't find high quality. Yeah. I recently, my, we've been showing the, um, Jurassic Park movies to our kids. So oh, we okay. recently rewatched the lost world, Sure. which is so corny and cheesy and everything is over the top and i know that everybody thinks that thor ragnarok is jeff goldblum at his jeff goldblumiest <laughs> but it is not because that is the lost world right like that is peak jeff goldblum and i love that movie would i argue that it's a great american piece of cinema i would not although there are sequences in it like the suspense sequence with the trailers yeah. that is one of the coolest things that yeah, spielberg has ever it's shot it's amazing yeah or the shot of um the like the humans trying to escape run and they're running through this field of tall grass and then you see the velociraptors yeah making their pass. I've written probably three sequences in books that are an homage to that shot, that. Awesome. like that one <laughs> shot. So no, it's not a great piece of American cinema yeah. and I would never say that it is, but I love it. I enjoy the hell out of it. Yeah. And I think that's okay. Yeah, it's fine. So I, I think people tend to judge others or even worse, they fear so much that they're going to be judged yeah. on liking something. Yeah. I recently, like, I love the movie Lake Placid, okay. which has, like, I think time has been kind to Lake Placid. Like, when it first came out, it tanked. Yeah. And I went and saw it in theaters. I was one of the five. And um, <laughs> and I loved it from the start. And, and later, it kind of got a cult following. And then it had, I don't know if you guys know, there's, like, six sequels. Oh, um, no, because sci-fi got the rights to oh, it. Oh, okay. There's, I shit you not, Lake Placid versus Anaconda. <laughs> is Betty White in any of them? She is not, but she is replaced oh. by Cloris Leachman. Okay, so, lateral move. Yeah, lateral. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so recently they did Lake Placid Legacy, starring two of the actors from Winona Earp, which is a show that I oh, like okay. very much. Sure. Yeah. So I tried watching it on Sci-Fi, and I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, like this is such garbage. Oh, um, no. But I had fun, and so I'm like, okay, well, that experience I don't regret. Yeah, don't <laughs> like, feel bad about it at all. No, like, and I wouldn't even put that one in my movies I like category, <laughs> but there's a, I, I see the value in being able to kind of unplug your brain and your critical thing and be like, oh yeah, that guy's going to die. <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, like my children right now 
they're they're only beginning to be exposed to PG-13 movies. Sure. And they're very, very sensitive about any death. Like, when we were watching Jurassic Park, like, we had to warn them about every single death. She's a clever girl. Yeah. <laughs> like, they, and because every five seconds, they'd be like, is he going to die? Oh, okay. Is he going to die? Okay. And we'd be like, okay, listen. Like, the kids are going to be safe. But, like, they don't see any comedy in death. Okay. At all. And like, that's Spielberg is all deaths are comedy for the yeah, most part. Yeah. Like the, the lawyer being snatched off the toilet <laughs> and yeah. eaten. Yeah. Like my kids did not think that was funny. Um, they just did. They did not. Um, but the, because every death to them is still impactful where I think you can watch some of these ridiculous movies and enjoy the way that people creatively die. Um, and, or the ways that certain tropes are embraced or ridiculed or, you know, there's a lot of the wink, wink stuff. And, and there's people, fun there. The way they set people up to deserve it. Like you're just, you know, somebody does, yeah. kicks a dog and then it's like, yeah. well, that guy's going to go. You know, there's a certain justice in yeah. most of the Jurassic Park movies. Yeah. Like almost everyone who dies deserves it. Yeah. Um, and the one or two characters like Eddie in The Lost World who who don't deserve to die, like it's... It, it's still an emotional beat that is necessary for the film. Which, which is why, I'm sorry, which is why the lady who's just planning her wedding and babysitting the kids in uh, Jurassic World, who's just violently killed by three different dinosaurs, is like, whoa! Yeah. What were you working out there, Colin Trevorrow? Yeah. I was not a fan of the second one. Okay. Have you seen the new? Yeah. It's a bummer. I would have been so fine with Campy yeah. And and kind of and kind of bad, but but fun, you know. Like if it was another Lost World, I would have been all over that. Sure. But it's more old Yeller than anything else. Oh. Like it's just dinosaurs dying terribly. Like and like the herbivores, man. Like herbivores. Wow. There is this one scene with like an Apatosaurus being slowly killed by volcanic ash fumes, while he's backlit through the vol- volcanic ash fumes, and you're like. What am I doing with my life? Like, <laughs> how did I end up here doing this right now? So I just don't, yeah. And and the ending is a bummer. It's it's a bummer movie. So anyway, ask me some cool stuff. Um, do you have any urban fantasy that you would recommend, like oh, books, TV? Oh. <laughs> um. I do. I I have so much. Um. One. I will mention one that I don't think gets a lot of play. Um, it's by one of our guests of honor here, Melinda Snodgrass, has an urban fantasy series that she writes as Philippa Bornakova. And the first one is called This Case is Gonna Kill Me. And it's about a lawyer who, it, so it's one of the urban fantasy series where the world of magic is out. Like people know about it, people know about vampires, and they've had to like make these adjustments with the laws. And so it's about a lawyer who gets kind of caught up in a case at her law firm, which the law firm is run by vampires. Okay. And it's such detailed and interesting world building. Um, the third book in the series just came out, and it feels like people just don't know about this, which bums me out because, you know, I do a lot of panels. I do panels at Dragon Con and they get some bigger name authors, you know, and so you know that like Faith Hunter's doing okay, you know, uh, Jim Butcher's doing all right. Like right. Kevin Hearn, they, they don't need my help. Um, people know about those books because they're so, they're big, you know, but like this is an example of just a really 
intricate, well-thought world building that people just aren't really finding. And that saddens me because I know how hard it is to build a world. One series that is getting a lot of play, and I'm not sure if you would call it urban fantasy or not, but have you guys heard about River of Teeth? No. Oh my gosh. So um, it's by Tor.com. So full disclosure, like they also publish some of my books. But it, um, it's basically, so it's set in, the, in America when hippos have been tamed and are used as like steer okay. or, or like travel animals. But they're also, you know, still mega deadly right. and right. stuff. And so this book's actually been getting a lot of attention um, in many ways. I think the sequel's already out and it's being talked about for some awards. But um, it's still just such a fresh, original kind of take on these things that I th- I don't think like the urban fantasy hardcore people are finding it. <laughs> um, another great one that I recently read is about so it's it's about like the granddaughter or great granddaughter of um, Doctor Van Helsing, and it's so it's about Greta Van Helsing, and she is just her whole life is the doctor to the dead. So she takes care of vampires and there's multiple strains of vampires and she takes care of like, um, revenants and like, so these different species that are all essentially dead. And, um, so her job is to just kind of be their doctor and like make rounds and, and visit them and deal with their very unique issues. Yeah, that's really cool. um, it's really it's one of those books where I'm like god damn it why wasn't that my idea like <laughs> dang it um and so the the first book is out and the second comes out in like two weeks and oh so the first book is called strange practice by Vivian Shaw and I really really liked it I pre it was one of those instant pre-orders with the sequel and I just want to mention here like I know a lot of people who when they hear about a book like that, or even a book with three, or a series with three, they'll wait, like they won't buy it. And this is a problem that I'm seeing a lot in urban fantasy, and I'm sure other genres too, because the problem, like I get it, man. I love reading a series that's already got, like I recently started reading the Longmire books, just, I I like listening to them in the car, they're very calming. (laughs) And and there's like 13 of them, and that's awesome, you know? It's so awesome to start a series that has a bunch out. But the problem with waiting is that there might not be a book three right. if you don't buy book one. Right. <laughs> you know, That's there, true. The series may not continue because a lot of publishers will do a two-book contract. That's pretty standard. Um, but they won't decide about book three until sales for book one or maybe even book two come in. Uh-huh. Um, so if you don't buy a book because it's the only the second one in the series, there may not be a three. Mm. And that sucks because... Mm. You know, there are so many good series. I have several friends who published uh, two book, two books in a series and then weren't picked up. Um, and it, it's kind of a, a crappy thing. So I always say, like, buy the book and just wait to read it if you really need to. Because, right. I mean, come on, you were going to do that anyway. Right. Like, you were going to buy a bunch of books and not get a chance to read them yet. That yeah. was always on the table. Right, so, yeah. So maybe just choose the series that that needs help but so strange practice is already out and then i'm so excited for the next one it's fun to i think it's fun to wait for new books 
I love to yeah. pre-order them and then they just come when they they download when they're yeah, ready. Yeah, and they just show up one yeah. day and you're like new book. Hello. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about your new book. Oh, I guess. I mean, I guess. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> um, well, I have two things going on right now. So I just finished my trilogy for tour. So um, that was Nightshade, Switchback, and now Outbreak is sure. out. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a pun there. It's got to be so easy. But you know what? Low-hanging fruit. Yeah. Um, but this summer, I actually just announced that I am going to put out a book of short stories set in my various worlds. Um, so I'm putting it out myself. Like, I'll, I'll go through professional editing and everything, but I'm going to put it out as a collection. And I've already got... A novella and a couple of short stories and I'm working on three more short stories at once which is kind of interesting wow I had like a month and a half in between like contracted books uh-huh. and I was and I've been talking for years about how much I wanted to write these stories about you know because I write mainly in first person right um, at least with my old world books and so then you're really limited in in what you can talk about because mm-hmm. you can only look at things from this one character's perspective right and you also have to stay on task like whatever the crime to be solved is you can't throw, bring in scenes that have nothing to do with that <laughs> right. you know so like I'm I'm you know working on like for like a, a scene where a character who's pregnant in the books I'm writing the scene where she gives birth like she okay. has her baby. Sure. Um, just because, and that, that's not something that I would ever be putting in a book because there's no like crime. And, right. You know, the, I'm not going to have the baby be kidnapped 10 minutes later or something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't work anywhere in a novel. Right. But it's a story that I think that people who have followed the series want to hear. Yeah. You know, they want a chance at it. It's like and the extended edition of your Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I've already got out a couple of short stories that um, follow a side character. Like, when I wrote my first trilogy of books, there's this character, Molly, that I just kind of wrote. Like, I didn't put any more thought into her than anybody else. And I was really surprised to find that readers loved her. Like, they loved this this one specific character. And I was like, oh, okay, well, in that case, I guess I'll write a short story about how she meets Scarlet for the first time. Like, from her perspective. So I've had a really good time doing that with side characters or writing these, like, one of the book stories I'm writing is a road trip between two characters. Um, <laughs> but man, I'm having the hardest time coming up with a title. Do huh. you guys have any ideas? Boy. Yeah. What do you think? Putting it on the spot. <laughs> the, here's the problem with being an urban fantasy writer. All the good book titles are taken. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You can only like look at, like there's only so many combinations of like, blood and magic yeah, know, and witchcraft that you can like put together and like darkness, you know, yeah. or like, Oh man. Like if you write about demons, the devil, you know, personal demons, yeah. like these titles just, they're so easy that they're everywhere. <laughs> so coming up with a title, I don't think mine would be any better than that. Coming up with a title for a book of short stories, little bites. I, yeah, I thought about quick bites. Guess quick what? Bites. It's taken. Oh, okay. And you know who I hate on this is Jim Butcher yeah. because he has two short stories collections with flawless titles, uh-huh. brief cases uh, and side jobs, Okay, All right. which yep. is about side jobs. Like it's about, you know, other jobs. Right. And I'm like, God damn it, Butcher, because <laughs> those are perfect and I want them for my own. But yeah, so I'm, it may, it may come out like, Untitled stories from the world of Melissa F. Olsen. Sure. Because I got nothing right now. Untitled. I have pages of rejection (laughs) titles. Oh, they're they're saying no, not this. 
Yeah, keep well, trying. No, like I've rejected them. Oh, okay, okay, because, okay. Yeah, no, they are not good titles. Well, assuming you get a title, when does that come out? Um, so September fourth. Okay, great. Yeah, I thought I'd because I'll be in at Dragon Con the week before. Yeah. And then my children go to school for the new year on the Tuesday, and I thought that's not enough of a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> like, how can I make this harder and worse? <laughs> and then I was like, I've got it. But no, there's there's quite a bit of time in between my last book and my next full length novel. It is written, but um, you know, it still needs to go through the editing process and stuff. Sure. So this I did as just a way to kind of thank people for staying interested in the books yeah. and give them something kind of fun to think about and get into. And there's hints in it for where I see the series okay. going. Cool. And there's going to be some like backstory stuff about like characters. We didn't really know why they don't like each other and we'll look at that and stuff. So Neat. it's really, it's a different challenge for me, but it's, it's really fun. Okay. Well, thanks so much for sitting down and taking time to talk with us. And I hope your fairy cosplay is a raving success. Oh, God. <laughs> Do vampires poop? Uh, <laughs> she says no. Um, well, according to Melissa, no. Um, That's her vampire. Yeah, that exactly. Um you have to consume something other than I smell blood. A, I smell a kid's book. You, oh, vampires out. poop. You know? Oh, my Every, gosh. Everything poops. Except oh. for vampires. Yeah. I mean, it's like a cute little vampire, and he's like, hmm? <laughs> he's looking at like a roll of toilet paper. What would I use that for? <laughs> Put it on your face. Right. And you have a little cut. <laughs> That's, we got to explore that, do too. You, do you suck your own blood at that point, or is that just weird? <laughs> you're asked now you're asking the big question yeah i guess <laughs> quit sucking your own blood get out of your room get outside right uh it's nighttime come on that's right get out of bed get out of your coffin <laughs> we talked about uh the, I, I forgot that uh, we had talked about kicking the dog uh in that interview which mm -hmm. is something that we were talking about the other night when we were coming out of um Malty Malty Falcon. Falcon. Yeah. the idea that there's saving the cat, which is when you give your, you know, kind of questionable character, they do something and now the audience is on their side no yeah. matter what. They do something honorable or what have you. Yeah. yeah. And then you have a thing where, oh, this bad guy's kind of fun. Uh, I think I can maybe root for this guy. This is, oh, no, nope. no. He, nope. No, no, no. Step too far. Yep. Yep. Can't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you have, like, moments like that. Um, trying to think of, like, if Dracula has one of those. <laughs> Because don't you feel like, I kind of agree, <laughs> something that we didn't talk about too is how much of vampire stories are tied up in the Victorian morals of their origin. Sure. Because mm -hmm. I kind of feel like Lucy deserves it. Wow. In the, in the world of Stoker. Like, okay. You know, he, he thinks that she deserves it. Mm -hmm. He doesn't like her. The author doesn't like her. Right. You know, she was already kind of like, <laughs> and then... Well, that's what you get. Right. You know, so we've got this metaphor of of invasion, you know, from other countries. You've got the, the blood libel thing being worked in and also like people getting punished for, you know, acting non-Victorian for their licentiousness and sure. for their sensuality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I see what you're saying. So it's not that. No. But he does so many bad things that I guess he's just the bad guy. Right. 
yeah. Do you have a favorite vampire movie? Oh boy. I mean, other than Underworld. Um, I kind of like love to hate the Twilight films. Um, really? Yeah. Um, they're so bad. I love making fun of them. They're just just like terrible. Um, that they're just kind of enjoyable. Really? Yeah. I rented one of them for my birthday one year. I was like, well, I've got some time to myself. This must have been gonna... recently. Well, it was actually a couple of years ago. Um, I'm sorry. I... <laughs> what a and I bought birthday. myself sushi at the grocery store, and um, I rented a Twilight film. What a horrible and, birthday! And watched it all by myself. All right. Um, so yeah. Okay. Um, but I enjoyed it. Um, the part where she gives birth to her um unhuman child is kind of ridiculous because it's like breaking her ribs and stuff like that as it comes out and you're just like come on childbirth is uh <laughs> scary yeah well, stephanie what happened yeah i know right it's called an epidural <laughs> it just seems like wow yeah what, what message are you trying to send i i know so a lot yeah. of things breaking. Mm-hmm. They break the bed when they have sex. Yep. The ribs break when she gives birth. Yep. Where's this baby coming from? Uh, I need a diagram. <laughs> and then when it shows up, isn't it like a CGI face baby? I think so. Isn't it like mm, what's going on? Right. I am so serene. Right. And I have red eyes or whatever. Well, and it grows rapidly too. Yeah, because that's what you want to skip through all the diaper changes. Right. Exactly. I feel like a lot of things are kind of coming out. <laughs> Do you have anything else? And here, let me, let me feed you one. Okay. Um, I, everybody says this, but I really do think that Near Dark is a really great film. Sure. You know, I like the fact that they don't ever say the V word once. You can use right. the, it's like a superhero movie almost, because you can use the trappings of a vampire film, the powers and all that stuff, mm-hmm. to create this drama. And it is like about this guy who's, you know, it isn't just about like, we got to kill all the vampires. Um, and it's a thrilling movie. It's a thriller. It's right. chases and action and great performances by Bill Paxson and uh, Lance Henriksen. And, um, I do like Bill Paxson. It's Catherine Bigelow. Yeah. Something uh, like that. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. There was Cirque this... du Freak. We know. We know. Oh, my goodness. There was this one Japanese film that has Thirst. vampires. The Korean one. No. Well, you should have said um, that one. That's a good one. Okay. Um, I can't. Is it remember like my boyfriend, the vampire, or something like that? Oh God, I hope not. <laughs> um. Uh, there's a lot of them. Oh, oh man, did you type Japanese vampires? I into, did. Yeah, that's not gonna do anything. Yeah. Like the Jiangshi, like the Chinese vampire with the scroll in front of its face or whatever. Remember no, the racist vampire? No, I wish that was that <laughs> because you that sounds amazing. Fight a racist vampire in Starfinder. <laughs> yes, that was a, now that fight, was a lot. Of fight fun. the racist vampire. Yes. How do you, how do we stop him? Do you have a bowl of cooked rice? <laughs> oh my God, this is all real. <laughs> racist vampires. I know. And I don't they, know, maybe and a Romanian person. they got their person... hands kind of like no. in this weird. Yep, they have to. They hop. Like, like they, they're like, I don't know, like they're a praying mantis yes. or something. They hop. Yeah. It's hilarious. They're kind of like halfway through the mash. Yes. The monster mash. <laughs> I would agree with that. Um, let's stop talking about that. Okay. Uh, so anyway, uh, <laughs> I encourage you to check out all of Melissa Olson's books. Uh, and we will have links to them and to her yeah. Amazon author page. 
uh, in our show notes. Uh, what, is there anywhere that you would recommend people start? Um, Melissa, actually, if you go to her page. Oh, I want your, I don't want um, a recommendation. Well, okay, You're fine. the host of this show. Um, I would say start with Dead Spots because that's her, Scarlett Bernard, yeah. her first book. Yeah. Um, I think that's a great way to get into it. If you want to know other information, Melissa has a, a, an actual recommended reading guide on her page. But I would start with Dead Spots. Um, Scarlett Bernard is awesome. Um, she's a great protagonist. Um, she so um, Melissa's done a great job at building. Um, she calls it an old world, and it's basically our world, except the old world is kind of secret, and there's vampires, werewolves, and witches. Uh, and Scarlet Bernard is a null, so if you come within ten feet of her, your uh, magic goes away. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she's kind of a reluctant hero too. She um, doesn't and really want her power. Sure. And you want to talk about noir? Um. L.A. noir. L.A. noir. It's set in L.A. Yes, exactly. So where can you find her? What's her site? Her website. Her website is melissafolson.com. Okay. People check that out. I thought She also mentioned uh, Alex Bledsoe, uh, and he's got a series of vampire books, mm-hmm. uh, I think starting with Blood Groove, uh, which are set in Memphis sure. uh, in like the 70s. Um, so you can check those out on Amazon or at Alex Bledsoe, uh, B-L-E-D, uh-huh, Bled, uh, dot <laughs> com. And thanks to Melissa for talking with us. Yeah. Always fun. All right, that's it. Did we get it all? I think we did. Okay, I think we did too. And thanks for listening to our show and to our interview. And hopefully we'll we'll talk to her next year. Yes, we will. Hopefully I want to get her back on the movie show too. Yeah, that'd be great. So she can make me watch some other movie that I hate. <laughs> that, that I don't appreciate enough. That Yes. It's one of the reasons that we've got that show. That show is called Craft to Services. And we talk about... We never really topped it. We tried to find a better, something better than Guilty Pleasures, but I think Guilty Pleasures still sort of yeah. uh, is the uh, leader in the clubhouse. But mm-hmm. we talk about Guilty Pleasure movies. You can find out more at com or on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts and all those other places, Craft to Services. But I'm pitching the wrong show right now. <laughs> talking about finding us, Just Enough Trope, on Facebook and Twitter and also on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Whatever they're going to call themselves yes. tomorrow, it'll be something else. Right. I, I, cra- I craps. <laughs> hey, vampires don't crap, but I crap. Oh, my gosh. That's my commercial. Um, <laughs> don't do that, though. Uh, anyway, subscribe to us on those services. It's the best way to get the show. As soon as it's alive, it's alive. Right. It'll come right to you. And uh, also give us a review because we love hearing how the fans think we're doing. That means you. Uh, also telling a friend. That's really the best way. Mm-hmm. Um, the best way to find out what Florida Man is up to is to go on the internet. But the best way to, to uh, help our show reach more people is to just tell a friend who yes. you think would enjoy it. And also to that end, give us a rating on one of those services because that really helps us out. We move up in the ranks and we get a high rating and we reach more people. So give us five immaculate white squares of toilet paper <laughs> that a vampire just carries around. In case a little blood gets somewhere. 
<laughs> on his gloves or something. Right. But not for pooping. No. Mm-mm. They would not need them. No. Because there ain't no pooping. No pooping. With these vampires. <laughs> and give us five stars instead. We'll be back next week talking about something else. And we'll try to give you, uh, we keep saying this. I should really have my shit together at this point. <laughs> But sometimes we we actually um, we have a lot planned going out to the end of the year. But a lot of it is, you know, there are there are fullnesses of time. Yes. Like we've got our van- a Halloween show all ready to go. Sure. And so kind of finding things in the meantime. Mm-hmm. So uh, we will definitely be talking about something, something exciting the next time you hear us. And until then, we're signing off. I'm your host, Caliban. I'm your co-host, Mikan Hana. Keep the geek fires burning. You're in the monster